Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Again, when he brings his firstborn into the world, he says... And let all God's angels worship him. And about the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his servants a fiery flame. But to the sun, your throne, God, is forever and ever. And the scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy beyond your companions. And... In the beginning, Lord, you established the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like clothing. You will roll them up like a cloak, and they will be changed like clothing. But you are the same, and your years never end. Now to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve those who are going to inherit salvation? For this reason, we must pay careful attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distribution of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Thanks, Phil. Good to be with you all this morning. My name's Ross, as Neil said earlier, and uh, it's great to be in God's Word together, isn't it? Just going to move this guy over here. Well, this morning uh, we start a a new series, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll uh, get into thinking about uh, the doctrine of Scripture. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're at work in our lives. We just pray now, as we come uh, before you, that you change our hearts, that you continue to work in our lives, and you help us to see uh, how your word, the Bible, is the most precious thing to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, uh, as I said just then, we're starting our new series, Words for Life, this week. And over the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at what's called the Doctrine of Scripture. And the doctrine of scripture really is just a kind of fancy theology way of saying we're thinking about the Bible, what it is, how it works, and why it matters. 
And I think this is a really important series uh, for our church and for us as individuals. And there's a whole bunch of different reasons. You could probably come up with 50 different reasons for why this is such an important series. But I think uh, it's really important for one big reason. And I, I think it's really important because maybe now, more than ever before, the Bible in our society is under attack. Do you guys feel that? I think in the past, uh, the Bible has kind of been a thing that people could either take it or leave it, to a degree. People maybe thought, oh, the Bible, it's a little bit outdated. It's good for those people in those churches, and I'm just going to live my life and, and not worry about it. But I think now there's been a change. The Bible is no longer just something that's outdated. It's now something that's outdated and dangerous. Do you see this? Do you feel this in your friendship groups, uh, in your school communities, in your workplaces? All of a sudden, the ideas in the Bible, some things the Bible teaches, they're presented as harmful for people. The Bible is bad for society. The Bible is bad for people's mental health. The Bible is harmful for children. It's a really tricky place to be, isn't it? It's really tricky for us, uh, for churches like ours, where we think the Bible is central, where we encourage people to read the Bible every day, where we encourage families to get their littlest ones and to read the Bible with them before bed where we make decisions about how our church works, about how we live our lives based on what the Bible says. We're in this tricky little space. It, it can start to sow some seeds of doubt in our mind, can't it? It starts to make us ask all sorts of questions. We start to ask questions. Maybe these are some of your questions, like, is the Bible actually God's good word to us? Maybe you ask the question, well, should we keep the Bible as the authority, like the most authoritative thing in our life or, or not? Or should we just kind of take bits that work and leave the bits that don't? Maybe you're starting to wonder, can you really trust the Bible? Maybe you're starting to wonder, what do I do with the bits of the Bible that do seem outdated? All the bits of the Bible that are like, kind of hard to understand. Maybe you start to wonder, well, do I need more than what the Bible offers me, more than what the Bible teaches for a life of godliness and goodness. Have you wondered any of these questions over the last uh, little while? Well, my hope is that over the next uh, six weeks, as we look at the doctrine of Scripture, you'll start to get some of those questions and maybe other ones that you've got answered. Over the next six weeks, we're going to tackle the doctrine of Scripture in six talks. Uh, These are the six talks. Number one, how do we know God? That's what we're looking at today in a minute. Then next week, how does God speak today? Talk three, why trust the Bible? Talk four, what is the Bible like? That's what we're thinking about, kind of the characteristics, the nature of the Bible. Talk number five, what's the Bible for? And talk number six, what do we do with the Bible? I think it's going to be a really great series. I hope you're able to be here for each uh, one of these talks, and we'll get into thinking about how the Bible uh, changes us. But today, we're thinking about this big question. How do we know God? How do we know God? And this is one of those questions that I think is so important, but we often don't 
think about in life that much. We kind of assume it or we kind of think, oh, I answered that question when I was a kid and we just kind of get on uh, with life. But this is a really pivotal question. So imagine for a second there was a supremely powerful God who existed. And that God made everything. He made the world that you see and he designed it in a certain way to work. And he made you and he made me and he made us to work a certain way. And he gave all of us and has planned out all of our lives for us. And he's looking down, watching the world as it operates. And he's holding people to account for the decisions that they make and the things that they say and the actions that they do. And one day, this powerful creator God who's watching how we live is going to return. And he's going to judge the world, including you and including me. Tell you what, I want to know what that God thinks. I want to know what, the way he ordered the world. I want to know his plan for my life. I want to know what he thinks is good and bad. I hope you do too. I think whether you're a believer or an unbeliever or a doubter or somewhere in between, we should all want to know how do we know God? It's a really important question for life. And how you answer this question how you know God, because there are different answers, changes the way that you live in a really significant and important way. See, people uh, have answered this question in lots of different ways over time. For some people, uh, they think about this question and they think, how do I know God? Well, I know God through different life experiences. I think that uh, knowing God and relating to God is all about those kind of our spiritual moments, those mountaintop experiences, those moments of personal, emotional connection with God. Maybe that's what you've always thought. Other people, they'll answer it differently. They'll think, no, no, knowing God is all about kind of knowledge. It's all about reason. It's about thinking your way up to God. It's about putting the pieces of philosophy together and kind of thinking it out. Fathers, and I think knowing God is about kind of things that are being passed down by older people, traditions and symbols and, and idols. It's about uh, kind of receiving from the past the knowledge, holding on to it and passing it on for the future. Fathers, they'll think that the Bible is the key to knowing God. Lots of different ways of answering the question. And what we want to do uh, today is have a think, look at the Bible, and, and answer the question, well, how have Christians throughout time answered this question? Because there's one consistent way. There's one consistent uh, answer to this question, and we want to dig into God's Word. We want to think with our brains, and we want to reflect on our own personal experiences to see how do we know God. So that's where we're going. And we're going to uh, tackle this in two ways. For the first part of the talk, we're going to answer this question just concretely, how do we know God? And then we're going to spend the last part of our talk thinking about how this way of answering the question changes three big things in our lives. Sound right to you? I hope it does, because that's what we're doing. Uh, Well, let's jump into it. Uh, How do we know God? And as we kick off, 
There's one big idea I want you to get in your head, and it's this. Knowing God is all about revelation, not discovery. Knowing God is all about revelation, not discovery. From the very first pages of the Bible, we see that God is a God who reveals himself to us. And when I say reveals, what I mean is he takes what is unknown and he makes it known. He shows us who he is. The very act of creation, which we read about in Genesis, is an act of revelation on God's part. By simply creating the world, he's showing us something of himself. But he doesn't stop there. He makes humans, he makes Adam and Eve, and he speaks to them. And that's a marvellous thing, isn't it? That the creator God, this God of all power and might, speaks to his creation. And we know that words are fundamental for knowledge, aren't they? Words are so important in getting to know people. And so God speaks to them. And that's wonderful. What I find even more remarkable is Adam and Eve, straight after God speaks to them, what do they do? They rebel against God. They reject him. They say, I don't want anything to do with you. Now, it would be natural for us to assume at this point that God would just kind of cut them off, wouldn't it? That's what we do. When people do the wrong thing by us, when people are harmful or hurtful or reject us, we kind of just step away from the relationship. We think, well, okay, (laughs) that's done. We give people the, the silent treatment. And, uh, and we kind of move on with our lives. But what is wonderful in the biblical story is that God doesn't do that. No, he just continues to reveal himself. He continues to give more and more and more of himself to people, even though they don't want him. And that is uh, simply breathtaking. And so the rest of the Bible, in fact, the whole of the Bible, is a progressive revelation of God. It's God slowly unfolding who he is, making the unknown known, to rebellious and disobedient people like you and me. And I think that really is remarkable. It's remarkable because God doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to do that at all. This is something that God chooses to do. And in many ways, we are so small and insignificant when compared to this great God who makes the world. Yet he chooses to reveal himself to us. It's like that moment you get in the Gospels uh, where Jesus has been spending time in and around Galilee doing all of these miracles. And he's kind of built up a bit of fame. And, uh, and then you get this moment where all of these little children, they start to come to Jesus. You know the story? Uh, they want to they meet him. They want to talk to him. Who knows what they want to do? They want to play handball if they played handball back then with Jesus. And they, and they start coming to Jesus. But his disciples, his friends, they think, no, 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 no. <laughs> we don't want to do this. And so they, they try to keep the children away. He's too important. He's too busy. He matters too much. His, his thoughts, his ideas, they're for the big people. But what does Jesus say? He says, no, no, no. Let the little children come to me. And what you see happen here is that Jesus starts to speak to these little ones. I, I can almost imagine in my head him kind of kneeling down with these little kids, maybe one of my own kids, and doing that kind of like baby talk thing you do. You know, you always put on a voice when you talk to a little kid, and you try not to, but you can't help it, and you always do it. I can imagine Jesus doing that and speaking their language, getting on their level, finding out what matters to them and telling them what matters to him. 
It's a really tender moment in the Gospels, isn't it? And that is the exact same thing that God does for you. The God of the universe gets down on his knees and he speaks to you because you matter and he wants you to know him. That's what the Bible is. It's God on his knees sharing himself with his people. You can begin to see how precious it is, can't you? But it follows then that we should wonder, well, exactly how does this revelation work? Exactly how does the revelation work? And throughout uh, Christian thought uh, in history, they've talked about two words, two ways that God reveals himself to his people. It's called general and special revelation. You might have heard this uh, at some point before, but here's how it works. A general revelation is general in kind of two ways. Firstly, we call it general revelation because it's general in who it's revealed to. It's something that God reveals to all people without distinction. Okay, general in its kind of audience. But it's also general in its scope, what is being revealed. It, it doesn't reveal specific individual truths to people about exactly who God is, but it reveals general truths, particularly God's power and God's glory. We see this in the Bible. Uh, you might know that famous passage, Psalm 19, verse 1. should come up on the screen. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. See it there? The heavens, the expanse, what's made, reveals something of what God is like, particularly, notice that word, his glory. I wonder if you've ever had a moment where you were standing somewhere remarkably beautiful in creation. Maybe you were staring over the top of the Grand Canyon. Maybe you were up in the Blue Mountains. Maybe you are just standing on the point down at Cronulla looking out at the ocean. And you're just kind of swept up in the marvellous way that God made the world. And you can't help but have a little bit of your breath taken away. And you realise, gosh, God is amazing. That, that feeling, that's general revelation. That's the way the Bible talks about it. It's God revealing himself to uh, us in his creation. But it also comes in two other ways. There's traditionally been talked about three different ways that God generally reveals himself. The first uh, one is through the conscience. We all have kind of a general sense that there is a God. Think about Ecclesiastes 3.11, uh, eternity is set in the hearts of men. A lot of, uh, all people have this kind of almost like divine imprint, divine fingerprint on their heart. Secondly is nature, which we've talked about. And the third one is history. We can see the way that God works throughout time and space. This is general revelation. To help you try and get your head around it a little bit, I've, um, I've got some envelopes here with three things in them. And I need a few people to open them for me. Can I get three volunteers? I'll come to you. I just need three people to open an envelope. Anyone want to open one for me? It's really easy. Thank you, guys. There we go, Robin. You can, you can start opening it. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mitch. Open it up. Whoever opens it first, you can tell me what you got. Ripped up paper. Can you tell what it is? Mitch? Is it a bit hard? <laughs> Some ripped up paper, maybe a photo of some kind, but a little hard to distinguish. Anyone else got anything? 
What do you got, John? <laughs> okay, you got a foreign language. Can you can you read it, John? Good. I was really hoping whoever opened that one couldn't read Greek, otherwise it would ruin my illustration. But some some letters that probably mean something. What have you got? Okay, well, Manchester City soccer jersey. There you go. Now, do those guys, does that tell you a lot about me? Can you kind of name something particular you know about me? <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? I've got a baby, there we go, if it's my baby. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? There's something that they can tell, but there's some, some problems. You see, uh, if you uh, flip to the next slide for me, in Romans chapter 1, uh, this is what we read about uh, the way God has made the world. It says, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. That's what we've talked about so far. We can kind of get a general sense for God uh, in the world. But, if we go over the next one, keep reading with me, verse 21. For though they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless and their senseless hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. You see, although there is this general revelation of God out there, sin and its impacts on us and on creation itself mean that we can no longer discern properly the God who is behind it all. See, in the same way uh, that that ripped-up photo or the limitations of people's language skills or uh, taking things out of context mean it's hard to discern much of me, our brokenness and the brokenness of creation and the world make it almost impossible for us to truly understand God from what he has made. See, if we want to know God, we need more than general revelation. And this is where our second idea comes in, special revelation. You see, God hasn't just revealed himself in a general way. He's revealed himself specifically as well to specific people with specific truths about himself. The difference between general and special revelation is like a general revelation is almost like those uh, paintings your kids do of your family at preschool where they all kind of look the same uh, over time versus the professional photographer who comes and does the photo shoot of your family on the beach. One of them reveals something kind of general. They're humans, I think. (laughs) And the other one shows you in-focus details about what they're like, what they look like. And so special revelation is really crucial and critical for us to understand God. It particularly teaches us how God saves us and works in our world. It shows us his character and gives us to himself, gives himself to us in kind of high definition. And we see God's special revelation primarily coming through words, through God's speaking. So it starts when God speaks to Adam and Eve in the garden and it continues throughout all the different ways that God speaks. Sometimes in the Bible we see it come from kind of like direct voices from from heaven. Other times it comes through 
are intermediaries like angels or God's prophets. It's God speaking a message to us about himself that we can understand and know. But all of these little ones we get throughout the Bible, they're all partial in a sense. They're little bits, but they don't give us the full picture. And this is where our reading uh, from Hebrews chapter 1 kicks in. Uh, have a look with me. If you've got your Bibles uh, open, uh, Hebrews chapter 1. It'll come up on the screen as well, but Hebrews 1. Let me read to you again 1 to 3, because this is such an important verse for us. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. That's what I've been talking about before, the partial. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. This is the really important bit. Verse 3, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Do you see what it says? It says that Jesus is the full and final revelation of God to us. If we want to know God, we must know Jesus. He's the exact representation of God for us. He is the ultimate special revelation. So knowing Christ, knowing Jesus is absolutely key. If you do not know Jesus, you do not know God. If you do not know Jesus, you do not know God. But there's a problem there, isn't there? See, we can't just wander down to Cafe Jolie and have a coffee with Jesus, can we? We can't just sit down and have a long chat and find out about him. So we don't live in the same time and space as Jesus did. But this is uh, the beauty of the way God works in our world. You see, he has given us a gift. He has given us the book about his son, the Bible. See, the Bible is all about Jesus from beginning to end. It's, a repre- it's, a, it's an explanation, a revelation of who Jesus is. So if we want to know Christ, because we want to know God, then we find him in the pages of Scripture. And so as we pull all of that together, how do we know God? We know God because God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And he reveals himself to us in his dear son, Jesus. And he's revealed himself to us in Jesus in the pages of Scripture. You see, in this life, we can have wonderful experiences and they will tell us something of who God is. We can reason with our brain and think hard about God and know things about him. And we can have wonderful truths passed down to us. But all of these things, they serve a greater truth. They serve a greater authority, which is the Bible. The Bible is the primary and ultimate way that we know Christ, that we know God. And so the question is then, if the Bible is so important, if God revealing himself to us through the pages of Scripture is so important, what does that mean? How does that change our lives? And I want to share three things with you now, three ways that this impacts our daily life. The first one is, because God has chosen to reveal himself in this way, it means that we can trust God. It means that we can trust God. I don't know how often you think about this, but uh, there's a reason that we trust people, generally speaking. We trust people 
because we know them. Or they know someone else who we trust. This is how the world works, isn't it? We don't just trust random strangers. If someone knocks on your door and says, hey, can I come in? I've got a gift for you. You're going to say no. At least you should. (laughs) If you don't know someone, you you don't trust them. And that's the right way it works. That's the right way to live. But in many ways, if you start to get to know someone, find out what they're like, how they act, the other people that they know, what they've done in the past, you begin to build up trust. And, uh, and that's, that's a good thing. That's the way we need to operate in life. We need to trust people. But there's a thing about humans, isn't there? Because we can never fully, ever trust another human, can we? We can't. Because the reality is there's always a gap, even if it's tiny, between what we say about ourselves and what we do. Between what we say we'll do and what we actually end up doing. Between who we think we are and who we say we are and who we really are. There's this gap. But here's the remarkable and wonderful thing. Because God has revealed himself to us in his word, there is no gap between who God says he is and who he is. There is no gap. And so that means that God will always do and always act according to the ways he's revealed himself in the Bible. That's the most wonderful truth. Because that means that we can trust God like we can trust nobody else. And so if you feel like you can't trust people, if, if you're in a spot where uh, you're finding it really hard to do that, where you're not sure the way forward, know that you can trust God. He is the ultimate trustworthy person who will always do what he says, will never break a promise, and will always follow through. God is trustworthy because he's shown us who he is and what he's like. That's the first one. Number two, because God has revealed himself to us, we can know what's right and wrong objectively. We can objectively know what's right and wrong. I don't know if you feel like this, but I know many people, me included, who feel like there are too many decisions to make every day. Do some of us feel like this? From when the moment you get up to the moment you go to sleep, you're just constantly making decisions. And some of them are reasonably easy. What shirt are you going to wear? Which way are you going to go to work? What are you going to have for breakfast? They're not too hard. But as you get older... Uh, The decisions you make are more complicated. There's more on the line. They're more difficult. And one of the things that makes them more difficult is that there are a thousand opinions about which is the best way to do something. Do you ever feel like that? And and it's not even like there's kind of people you trust telling you one thing and people you know who are wrong telling you another thing. Often it's the case where there's lots of people who we trust, who are good people, who are telling us completely different things. And it's like, man, what do I do with this? There's so much noise. Do you feel like there's lots of noise out there, lots of opinions, lots of feelings? It can be hard to figure out what on earth is right and wrong. And again, this is the beauty of the Scriptures. Because in the Bible, God has shown us how the world works. He's shown us who he is. He's given us an objective standard to know how to live, to know how to live in a way that pleases him. I love 2 Peter 1.3, uh, which says that in his divine power, God has given us 
everything we need for life and godliness. You see, we don't start from a blank page when we have to make decisions about life. We start with God's word. And that is the ultimate foundation and ultimate finishing point for our ideas of what's right and wrong. Too often I know that in myself, I don't start with God's word when it comes to a tricky decision in life. When I'm trying to think through an ethical issue, uh, sometimes I won't do that. I've been thinking about this recently as I've been thinking about uh, the referendum that's coming up, The Voice to uh, Australia. I've been thinking about how often what I've done uh, is jump on and read blogs or articles of opposing viewpoints. That's been my starting point. What is a better starting point is God's good word to us in the scriptures. You see, God's word, the scriptures, they have so much to say about the voice to parliament. They won't tell you which way to vote, but they will give you the building blocks to make a good and godly uh, decision. So I commend to you, just on that issue, if you are thinking about it, have a look at God's word. See what it has to say. If you want some uh, thoughts, I don't have time to tell you what I think contributes, but I think there's lots in there that might help you think about it uh, for yourself. Okay, we can know what's right and wrong because God has revealed to us himself and how the world works, which is our foundation and our bedrock. Number three, this one's a little bit wordy, but because God has revealed himself to us, it helps us to rightly understand the things we experience in our day-to-day life. Because God has revealed himself to us, we can understand the things we experience in our day-to-day life. As we uh, go through life, We'll have many good things in our life, won't we? Lots of great things that happen. We also will encounter very many hard things. And what can be tricky is interpreting the hard things that happen, understanding what's going on in those hard things. And the temptation for many of us, uh, as we think about God in the midst of the hardness, is that we start to understand what God is like through the lens of our difficult experience. So we start to see God through our experience. And what can sometimes happen is we think this really hard thing happened, therefore God mustn't be good. Or we can think this thing that I really wanted never came about. God mustn't love me. That's a really challenging space to be. But because God has revealed himself, it it flips the picture for us. Rather than view God through your experience, uh, the Bible encourages us to view our experiences through what is revealed to us about what God is like. We start to have a different view, a different understanding of what's happening because we know who God is, we know what God is like, and we know the way he works in our world. And so... Uh, when something happens in your life that makes you think, God doesn't love me, he can't love me because this thing happened. You could remember John 3.16, something as simple as that, for God so loved the world, including you. It cannot be that God doesn't love you. There has to be another reason. When you start to think that maybe God has given up on you, that he's not there for you, that he just has kind of rejected you to the side. You could think of uh, Philippians 1 verse 6. For he who began a good work in you will carry it on into completion. It cannot be that God has given up on you. 
or when you think uh, that God is uh, evil, when you think that this thing that has happened means that God cannot be good, you can think of Psalm 92, which says that he is our rock and there is no evil in him. Or when God just feels downright mean, you could think of Deuteronomy 32, which tells us that God is like an eagle who swoops up his young, he carries them away on his wings and helps them soar again. Or when you think that God doesn't have a plan for your life, when you think that nothing makes sense, you could think of Romans 8.28, for he works all things together for the good of those who love him. I let God, as we find him in the scriptures, friends, shape and help us understand the experiences of our lives. Now I know that is really hard when it comes to the really hard things. I don't want to downplay that at all. And maybe you can get as far as going, okay, I know it can't be this, but I have no idea why. That's okay. That's way better than skewing our vision of God because of a hard thing that happens in our life. So because God has revealed himself, we can understand the good and the bad that happen in our life properly. Well, as we draw this all uh, to a close now, uh, we come back to that big question we asked at the start. How do we know God? Well, the answer that Christians have held on to throughout history, the thing that makes sense in the way we live our life, the thing that makes sense when we think hard about it, and ultimately, as we look at it in God's word, is that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. We don't work our way up. He works his way down. And he's ultimately done that in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the full and final revelation of God. There's nothing more to be said. And we find Jesus. He's revealed to us in the scriptures. So we can trust him deeply. We can know what's right and wrong. And we can hold fast to his character despite the things that happen in our life. And for that, uh, we can thank God for the Bible and, uh, and continue to think about it even more over the next few weeks. I'm going to pray, and then we'll move on. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we just thank you that you love us. We thank you that you're always at work in our lives. We thank you that you've given us your precious and good word. We pray that we continue to come back and think about your son, that we do not uh, look elsewhere, but we trust him. We love your word, and we live your way in the world. Amen.